Arrivederci, listeners of the Calvary Cast, or Hola, or Bon Dia. To all of our international listeners, I send you greetings and salutations. Oh, I thought you were speaking in tongues. Are you going to interpret? I the I'm listeners assuming it will was interpret. all saying hello. I think it was. Or there could good have been, day or something to that effect. Could have been uh, some variations there, as I'm not a speaker of another language. And so that's a saying, words that came to mind. That's because you're an American. I am an American. And they only train us in one language, really. And we get made fun of in the rest of the world for that. I had a German woman once kind of be condescending to me. Because you're... We are kind of... She's Because I was like, I only speak English or something, because she spoke Spanish, she spoke German, she spoke something yeah. else. And and she goes, well, the rest of, most of the rest of the world does speak <laughs> more than one language. It is true. So I, I thought about that, because, okay, so let's just go on this little tangent. When we were down in Brazil, mm-hmm. I had these plans beforehand to like work on my Portuguese, right? I was going to do, do the Duolingo thing and, you know, just be able to have a few sentences or something like that. Right. Well, I did one lesson in Duolingo and that wasn't enough to like get me anywhere. Mm. And uh, so I felt kind of bad when I was down there, you know, like I can't communicate. But most people that spoke Portuguese also spoke English. But then people also said, you know, English is one of the easier languages compared to like Portuguese, which is a romantic language and stuff. And mm-hmm. so I felt better after that because I thought, okay, these other people, they're, uh, they they learned the harder language first. Then English was just easy for them right. kind of thing. So right. I didn't feel quite as bad. Good. Something like that. What what language are we going to do this podcast in? It's a pretty complicated podcast. Should we try to do it in another language? I guess is my question. <laughs> that, that, would, that would add an extra layer of difficulty to it. I would think so. Uh, yeah. No. We better stick with English. Then. We better stick with English. Well, we're episode 122. I didn't say that. I always got to say what episode number Wowzers. we're on. 122. We are getting up there. Mm-hmm. We're the number one podcast from Bible churches in Grand Junction, I'm pretty sure. I would, yeah, I'll bet you we are. <laughs> <laughs> the number one and only podcast from the Bible. Fastest growing, number one <laughs> podcast from a Bible church in Grand Junction. Maybe, maybe Western Colorado. Probably. Who knows? I don't know of any others from churches, but I don't know. I don't know. We haven't looked it up. We haven't either. If there is another one, don't tell us. It'll hurt hurt us. So just let us live in our happy little land. Uh, We got to give a shout out to Ike for his artwork from last week. We sent out a call, and we're still sending out a call for new album art. If you think you can design us something better than what we have, which a stick figure would probably be almost better. Yeah. That actually could be kind of cool, actually. Yeah. And well, I, no, when we say album art, we're talking about for our podcast. for the Calvary cast, what you would see when you pull yeah. up right. the Calvary yeah, cast. Because yeah. our last one's Wyatt took some pictures on a cell phone, and it just it, it, it needs updated. So we yeah. got some... Uh, I, I like the one where you're a woman. Yeah, great. Because AI does <laughs> AI is kind of liberal in their theology, and they think that women can be pastors. So that's why you. Can't they had no them. problem with that. No problem with that. So, there should have been a filter on that, a flag that would yeah, have caught that that yeah, couldn't work. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, some interesting things in those. You can go check them out on our socials, but you can also send us other stuff too. We we take that. There you go. There you go. That's all. Are you excited for this topic? I am approaching this topic with fear and trepidation.
topic of the day. Well, it's now that we've prefaced the topic of the day as one with fear and trepidation, and people already kind of know what the topic is because they'll have seen it in the title of the podcast. What is our topic of the day? Well, isn't it the land of Israel and yes. its relationship to the Bible and maybe us, and we're looking at a few different views of that, yep. and we're going to take a stab at our own view towards the end. <laughs> three views, I think that's what we'll call this, three views on the land promises to Israel, something like that. Three views plus the right view, which is my view. That's right. So four views. Four views. Three views that have some truth in them, and then the fourth view that is actually the correct right and right. View. That's my own. There we go. And my, my view's humble, too. <clears throat> So we'll give a little, I'll give a little bit of a preface. So this is coming from, we're using kind of as a starting point, three articles that were posted on the Gospel Coalition about uh, Israel's role in the land promises, one by Daryl Bach, who is a progressive dispensationalist, one by G.K. Beale, and his view we will call the typological view, and then one by a, a Reformed Anglican, Gerald McDermott, and we're going to call his view Christian Zionism. So okay. those are the kind of the three views. Uh, we'll post links in the show notes, as they say, for the people to go and read these on their own. They will be, they're worth reading. They're good, short, accessible. The, these are not sufficient, though, right, to no. actually articulate. And even this podcast is going to fall very short. There's a yeah. lot of yeah. a lot of things that can be sussed out. And I'm sure some people will listen to this that are maybe more solidified in their view, and they'll be saying, well, what about this? And you didn't talk about that. Right. We can't address all of it. Nope. But this is an important conversation in eschatology, and it is a maybe a little bit livelier conversation today with the events happening in Israel, right? Mm -hmm. That's what these articles are posted a month after the October 7th attack, so they're just thinking through these things. So, and this is this is really Israelology. Israelology. Right? So if we have all of our doctrine you know, under different headings of what we summarize the Bible teaches on any given topic like um, salvation, so soteriology, or um, the doctrine of Christ, Christology. This would be Israelology, which is often neglected until you have to get into, like even in my doctrinal statement mm. that I had to prepare for ordination, I don't think that there was anything in there under, my, under what would be Israelology. The I, people and the land and what's going on with that. So anyway, well, just thought would, I'd throw that yeah, in there. There would probably be reasons for that that we might get to. Yeah. Eschatological reasons that would lead you to those conclusions. Right. Okay. I'm going to set us up a little bit like this. Before we get into these views, just a brief overview of what the Bible teaches a little bit about the land. Mm -hmm. Should we start there? Yeah. Uh, so you could really actually go all the way back to Genesis 1. Right, Adam is to have dominion over the earth and things like that, but then it's the the land promises really start to get more specific in Genesis chapter twelve, when the Lord promises to Abraham, or Abram at that time, Genesis twelve or seven, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "To your offspring I will give this land." Speaking of a specific locale, so He promises that land to Abraham, and then He says later on, after four hundred and thirty years, your descendants will be enslaved in Egypt. They will come back and they will possess this land. So as you know, Abraham didn't have it fully, but it, his descendants would. And so that happens. Uh, under the leadership of Joshua, the land is largely taken, but not all of it. They fail in their task to fully drive out and annihilate 
the inhabitants of the land. And so, of course, those those inhabitants remain in the land and are a thorn in their side for the rest of their history. Under the kings of David, uh, kings of Israel, specifically David and Solomon, the boundaries of the kingdom reach their height. Uh, they, they possess the most territory, but shortly after that pinnacle, rebellion happens, and as promised all the way back in Deuteronomy, that when the people... Uh, break the covenant of the Lord, they sin against him, they will be removed from the land. And so they are expelled from the land for a period of 70 years, and then after this exile, they're brought back, which is what you've been teaching on on Sunday nights with Ezra, right? You have a remnant return to the land, but now, largely for the rest of Israel's history, they are an occupied nation. Mm -hmm. Other nations control that land, but there are Jews in there. So yeah. they wouldn't say it is there. So in the, all those senses, none of the, the it would seem none of those promises to Abram of land, and, and there's an accompanying peace that comes along with that are fully, fully um, realized. And then there seems to be throughout the Old Testament allusions to a restoration beyond just the return from exile. Passages like Jeremiah 32 verse 41. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. So passages like that seem to allude to a future restoration. So, Of the people in the land and of the people themselves in the land. Exactly. There would be, there would be a new relationship even of them with God, that they would be yes. honoring him and obeying him. His spirit would be in them. But I'm thinking of Ezekiel 36 yes. type yep. of stuff. So, and that doesn't, that has not happened if we want to, yeah. Yeah. If we analyze that, that has not happened yet. So these land promises, though, are interpreted, well, this is actually probably two, two ways with one way being split, kind of. Right. One being a little more extreme, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if extreme Maybe we could say more, more literal. Right. Something like that. So okay. let's let's talk about these. First of all, the progressive dispensational view is advocated for in this article by Daryl Bach. So I brought out some points from his article that I think are where he's kind of emphasizing his view. And he says, Israel's role is central because of her Messiah and God's faithfulness to his promises is a testament to, his, to the character and plan for reconciliation that includes all nations. So he is advocating for a literal fulfillment of ethnic Israel— being back in a certain plot of land that the Lord has promised all the way back to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. He makes a good point, and within the dispensational view, this is kind of where there's a spectrum. Well, in all these views, there's a spectrum, I guess right. you could say. Right. Um, but he makes some uh, some helpful points where he, he says this. He says, the New Testament stresses Gentile inclusion, not Israelite exclusion. Right. Uh, so he is he is saying not that the church doesn't have a place in the future, mm -hmm. but that the church— Or even land inheritance promises. Right, land yeah. inheritance promises. So the church is not excluded from the future, but neither is Israel. Right. And I think that's an important yeah, point. Yeah, I think making. it is, because when we even go back to Genesis 12, and I'm going to give to you and your offspring after you this land— and I think in our minds, we immediately think of ethnic Israel then, mm -hmm. physical descendants of Abraham. Abraham. The problem with that comes in when you study a passage like Romans 4, where we are clearly, we being Jew and Gentile-like, yes. being 
referred to as the offspring of Abraham right? Uh, through faith. Now, we as Gentiles are not physical descendants of Abraham, but there is a way then in which we are considered sons of Abraham by mm-hmm. faith, children of Abraham by faith, and um, one might even, I would dare to say, a spirit spiritual Israel, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're inheritors of the promise. We're inheritors of the promise. Uh, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, Galatians 3, yes. we're all children of God. So the big question is, how does that relate to the specific land promises? Right. Because we all want to, you know, we, we, I think everybody would agree there's blessing upon us, because he said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But being a spiritual descendant of Abraham by faith, grafted into the Romans 11 vine as one mm-hmm. of the branches, not natural, I get it, but uh, grafted in, what then do we get? Right. And, and is it just the Jews, physical descendants of, of Abraham, that have that land promise? Which, and, and this is maybe it'd be helpful to clarify this distinction between the progressive dispensational view and maybe a more classic dispensational right, view. right. Which would see uh, less continuity, if yeah. you put it that way, between the people of God. So, in this future land uh, where the Jews are back in the land, and and God's fulfilling His promises made to to the ethnic Jewish people, there seems to be less of a distinction, or more of a distinction there between Jews and the Church. Right. What and way. what He's saying is would be maybe. Um, would like a, a Ryrie would not yes. agree with perhaps yes where the New Testament stresses Gentile inclusion yes not Israelite exclusion from the promise specifically of land right so so Bach somehow has this and it's B O C K Daryl Bach who's yep. a uh, I think he's still the prof- a professor out at um, is he at Dallas Dallas Seminary and one of one of the leaders of what's called progressive dispensationalism, but they're saying, okay, where where Ryrie type of dispensationalism went awry and Schofield went awry is they didn't see enough inclusion yes. of Gentiles into the promises yes. given to Abraham, and perhaps that even goes into the land the promises. Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost in that classic dispensational Ryrie Schofield view. It's almost as if the church is a parenthesis, and sometimes right. that language is used, right. where it's almost as if God's dealing is with the Jews always, yeah. and the church is just kind of a temporary thing. Ultimately, he's going to go back to this kind of Old Testament. Yeah, and what they've said in progressive dispensationalism is that instead of saying there are two peoples of God, yes, Israel and the church and God's plan for them or whatever— it is saying there is one true people of God. Yeah. So as you see that unfold in the New Testament, you know you see Paul in places like Ephesians two and three saying, "Now you were separated from all of these things, mm-hmm. covenants of promise, the Christ, etc. Now you've been brought in by the blood right. of Christ." And saying things even about Jews in Romans nine, not all who are of Israel are of Israel. Right. And Jesus looked at Jewish men and said to them, "You're of your father, the devil." Right. You're not in the covenant people of God, right? So, um, so I think progressive dispensationalism, it seems to me, not being an expert in it, has done a better job at seeing, yep. as he as is put here, Gentile inclusion 
in the promises right. and in the the one people of God, not Israelite exclusion. Right. Well, so he goes on, he makes a statement. In the New Testament, the seed that was promised to Gen- to Abram back in Genesis 12 is seen as Jesus, Galatians 3.16. Then he goes on to say, Israel as a people among other nations remains as beneficiaries of the promise, and by that he's meaning including the land when they believe, believe Jesus. To include others or to expand the promise to the world, so by that he's meaning to include others as in Gentiles, or expand the promise to the world, that is, that that the world is the promised land, I guess is how he'd be phrasing that, doesn't remove the original promise or recipients. Yeah, and I think that's the crux of what he's saying, right? It's the idea that um, if if we decide to expand the promise of land, yeah. not just to the nation, uh, the ethnic Jews, but also to the Gentiles, you can't do that at the exclusion of these original yes. people. So that's really his That's issue. really his, his point, yep. Yeah, he closes with this sentence, whatever else happens with the Christ promise, whatever expansion the promise involves, it doesn't involve the elimination of these commitments, and by that he means a land and a king to rule. Yeah. Okay, so that's first view, progressive dispensational view. The second view is what we'll call the typological fulfillment or typological view. This is advocated for by G.K. Beale and uh, a good scholar. Here's one other thing I'll throw out on this too, because I know most of us are probably not going to land in this typological fulfillment, people that are a part of our church listening, things like that. None of these people are heretics. I agree. None of them are outside the realm of orthodoxy. And there's a lot of rich things there's that a, you can, if you read through Beale's, um, Beale's uh, biblical theology yes. is what it would call tracing this theme yes. of land, yep. place, yep. temple, etc. through the Bible, that there's a lot of really rich things yes. you can see. Yes. So when, when somebody comes along with what we'd call a typological fulfillment or, or things like that, they they have, as we're going to see, some biblical evidence right. for the points they're making. So there's just, again, our whole mantra may be here, humble eschatology. Yeah. This is an area to do it. And, okay. they're, and they're not saying, they're not, it's their way of interpreting Scripture, which is different. Mm-hmm. They're not saying God doesn't fulfill His promises right. to His people. What they're saying is he fulfills them, but in a way you didn't see coming and what you didn't expect. And it wouldn't be to them exactly literal in the sense of ethnic one day king there's a kingdom and ethnic Jews are in Israel and everybody else is spread out through the earth and that there's not that much of a literalness, right? It's more um, it's expanded. It's expanded, and they see all these things as fulfilled, ultimately land promises and everything yep. in Christ. So. Yep. Well, I'll, I'll make a couple points from his article that I thought were helpful and, and maybe will help people understand it. So they he, he argues for, and I would say, and, and I'm a, more recently actually familiar with this method because I've done more research and study in biblical theology and typology in the last couple of years. So some of this stuff I resonate with a little bit more. But they would take these land promises back to, again, Genesis chapter 1, and Adam's role to have dominion over the earth and to expand, right? To, to expand the Garden of Eden yeah. is kind of the vision that's given in, in Genesis 1 and 2. And so he, they, he makes the point that the Old Testament land promises to Israel were intended to expand beyond the initial borders of the promised land given to Abraham to encompass the whole earth. And so 
what kind of his conclusion at the beginning is that in Christ and through the church, the expansion of Eden will be realized universally. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they would be saying is that this command given first to Adam and then to Noah, because Noah, the, the command is reiterated, right? Uh, have dominion, rule over the earth, subdue it. They're saying it goes from Adam to Noah, ultimately to Abraham, and that the nation of Israel becomes a corporate Adam, whose responsibility is to rule and have dominion, and they fail in that task. And so, but even in that, he's saying the 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 plan the the Israel was to expand their borders, yeah, and to rule in that way. And isn't part of that where they see that yes, you have you had ethnic this nation in the Old Testament, ethnic Jews. You had that, but in the New Testament, there's this mystery revealed that there's an expansion of the people, that it'd be Jew and Gentile now right. in this one new man, the body of Christ. Right. And in the similar way, then, that's almost applied to the land promises as well. Right. So if we're thinking about just ethnic Jews back in that land of Israel, in their mind, you're thinking too small. Yes. God has expanded yes. this thing out now to where, and a key verse for them is would be in Romans 4, Four. where Paul says about Abraham that he would, the promise was that he would be... Um, inheritor of an, the world. An inheritor of the world, and world, they're not thinking people there as much, they're thinking of the land of the world. Right. So that per, the, the promises of that particular land are going to be fulfilled, but in a global way that right. nobody saw coming. I think that if you know somebody like Beale is interacting with Bach or McDermott, they're saying, you guys are thinking too small, right? <laughs> right? Like, right. In, in just fulfillment of Israel back in the land. No, it's the whole world. Yeah. And that's where I think somebody like Bach would respond and say, no, I, we are ex- emphasizing the whole world, but we're not minimizing Israel's place in that specific spot. That's right. Um, they, some, some of his conclusions, again, he says, the land promises will be fulfilled, because this is a big question, too. How, when is this going to happen? So they say the land promises will be filled, fulfilled in a physical form when all believers inherit the earth, but the inauguration of those fulfillment is mainly spiritual until the final consummation in a fully physical new heaven and earth. So mm-hmm. one day when Jesus, when all things are recreated and renewed, that's when this promise will be fulfilled. Until now, it's spiritual. Right. And wouldn't we agree with some of that? We would yes, agree with agree. right now even the kingdom promises mm-hmm. are being fulfilled spiritually in the people of the king. Right. And um, and then one day, this will be more f- fully fulfilled, yes. or completely fulfilled in the very tangible sense of right. we'll be able to experience it in that way. So his conclusion, just in relationship to ethnic nas- national Israel, he says, Therefore, none of the references to the promise of Israel's land in the Old Testament appears to be related to the promises of ethnic Israel's return to the promised land on this present earth. Okay. That's typological view. The third view, will we're calling Christian Zionism, or another way to actually phrase this would be against supersessionism. Some people like to use the term replacement theology. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and they'll say, oh, Reformed guys, they're all replacement theologians. And by that, they mean that the church has replaced or superseded Israel. Now, this guy is not. He is a, uh, and, uh, he is a Anglican, actually, Reformed Anglican. And his article is against, he's, he's advocating against this notion that the church has replaced Israel, which would be, in a sense, the, the way that Beale would be 
advocating for that typological fulfillment. Um, you had a definition of Christian Zionism. Did you bring that? I didn't, but I can give you my the. I, I don't have it with me. I could, we can I was pause looking for and that you could now. go get it. It was good, to, or do we need that definition? Well, we can just say what it is, right? Okay. So Christian Christian nationalism, no Christian Zionism, or Christian Zionism. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, sees all of those covenant promises for land to the people of Israel, much as a dispensationalist or even a progressive dispensationalism may see somewhat mm-hmm. of that. But it would say things like this, and this is where it really got its source with people like um, um, Hal Lindsey and uh, Tim LaHaye. LaHaye. This idea that in in 1948 is an example when, when the United Nations determined the state of Israel and Jews began going back there, they said, wait a minute, this is now the the beginning of the fulfillment of prophecies to bring them back to that land. Christian Zionism would even, it it takes it, it, the church should always be the ally of Israel Mm -hmm. and uh, defend Israel. And, well, as an example, I think I saw a Christian Zionist house the other day as I walked by it. (laughs) On their garage, they had the Christian flag on one side, and they had the Jewish... Oh, the uh, Israel flag? Israel flag on the other, and right next to each other. Huh. And they would they would say we defend Israel no matter what. The danger of that, of course, comes in if Israel does things that are wrong. Right. These are not regenerate people. Right. These are not people in right relationship to God. Right. And and so we would never want to say that. We can't justify everything they did. But anyway, there is insane. They would say too that Israel has a right to the land right now. Right. Yeah. And they have that because of God's promises. The counter to that would be, well, there's a number of them, but one of them would say, well, in Deuteronomy, the land promises were provisional, Mm -hmm. and it was based upon Israel's performance, which they failed. They've been expelled to the land. So God has every right to bring him back by his grace if he wants, but we have to see that all of those returning promises, like Ezekiel 36 and 37 and other places in the Old Testament— were conditioned upon God's work in their hearts, and so that they were right with Him through faith in the Messiah. Right, and then then that that land would belong to them. So there's a number of things we could say about that. But. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good kind of summary of what that view would hold. A couple of things from the article that the guy brings out that I think are are valid valid points, things to pay attention to. Um, he's really arguing for uh, the. He's trying to make the point the New Testament continues to advocate that the Jews will in, inhabit the land. So, like one, he mentions uh, three passages where the New Testament refers explicitly to the land promise. So he says Hebrews eleven, Acts seven four through five, and Acts thirteen seventeen to nineteen. Uh, another passage he references is in Luke twenty one verse twenty four, where it talks about the cessation of the Gentiles trampling on Jerusalem, and he says that the beginning of Jewish sovereignty over the land, so he would go back to 1948 and then to 1967, and he's saying that the establishment again of the nation of Israel, or the state of Israel, the modern state, could be seen as a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, A couple other points he brings out to advocate for a New Testament view of the land promise being fulfilled literally is that Jesus says the apostles would rule over the 12 tribes. So here he's evoking not only the land of Israel, but also this reconstitution 
of the 10 northern tribes that were scattered um, after the division of the kingdom. Uh, and then, of course, Revelation is replete with references to the future of the land of Israel. Now, the if I was going to quibble with this part, because this is, uh, or, or, or maybe not this, I'm not going to quibble here yet, but he, he has a conclusion in his, his article. He says, why does this matter? Why does it matter that Israel ends up in the land, literally, in this way? And, I th- and his, he's advocating for, I think that them being in the, nation, in the land now is a fulfillment of prophecy. So he says, one, if the land promise was ended with Jesus, then God is not trustworthy. Two, if the promise is broken, then so might be God's promise to renew and restore the heavens and the earth. And then he makes third that there's a theological reason for supporting Israel against their enemies today. So that kind of goes along with the, um, and, and again, I think we'll we get into this more in a, in a bit, but we should support the nation of Israel because God has called them to share the land, uh, and that's what they're doing. Okay, so that that's kind of in summary the three views. Any other thoughts right now before maybe we talk a little bit about strengths and weaknesses? No, let's just go right into that. That would be our thoughts, right? That would be our thoughts. Uh, so let's talk about the progressive dispensational view. Um, what do you think are strengths and weaknesses there? Well, I think the strengths, and maybe you can bring out some weaknesses if you have them. <laughs> I think I think the strengths are, and in, in especially in progressive dispensationalism, um, is that it is trying to um, reconcile some of these very pointed promises in the Old Testament to the people of Israel mm-hmm. in the land um, restored, yeah. and serving that purpose and, and God's plan, and take those at face value and say, no matter what else— no matter if there's expansion in this, no matter if the Gentiles are a part of this through Christ, no matter what else, these get fulfilled in the way that God mm-hmm. designed them to be. And I think that's, that's the safest way to interpret Scripture, right. that there may be things about this we miss, we don't quite see, but this this is going to be fulfilled the way that God said it would. I was thinking through... Um, uh, Matthew 2, of course, this week a little bit, we're in Christmas season. And just things like what was promised of the arrival of the Messiah is that he would be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, right? Mm-hmm. That was a specific prophecy to where when Herod could went to, um, uh, when he went to the uh, the Jewish leaders and teachers and such and asked them, where would the Messiah be yeah. born? They were able to identify this place. Why? Yeah. Because this is what the Bible said would happen. Yep. And what I'm saying is some of the other interpretations, typological interpretations and stuff of prophecy, it's like you could, you could, you could really, um, you could take at face value prophecies like that, mm-hmm. where this ruler would be born in Bethlehem in the Old Testament. But now in Christ, we have to re-examine how we interpret the rest right. of these prophecies. And I'm thinking that's not that's really not satisfying to yeah. me. And I think that. Um, I, I think that biblically we would be expected, 
even though we can see more now in Christ as we look back at prophecy. Yeah. We can see more as we read our Old Testament. We can't see less than the what they did. Right. And I mean, we should be taking these things, I think, at face value. Yeah. Uh, if I was going to have a weakness of this view, I think it actually relates to the next view. I don't think that they do enough of the typological element. Like, I think they could do a little bit better biblical theology and carrying forward the storyline of Scripture like the typological view does without excluding the promises made to Israel as well. Right. And that would be go along with saying... It leaves questions. All three of these do. All three of these leave some pretty significant questions about, okay, I see what you're saying, but how does this work out? So in other words, he's saying he's giving some of the expansion view Mm -hmm. of, yeah, we can see Gentile inclusion, but my question for him would be, what does that mean as it relates to the land of Israel? That specific area over there, who's going to be in it, what does that look like, and how are those promises fulfilled to us? Now... I've not read Progressive Dispensationalism. Me neither. The the actual book by who was that? Saucy and I don't think it was Bach that wrote that. Wasn't it, was, it Bach and Keener or uh, was yeah, it? I, anyway, so I haven't read. Care. So maybe they answer that a little better, yep. and maybe there's more than this article that answers that a little more. But yep. I'm just saying it leaves questions. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the typological fulfillment, uh, I, I brought out the one thing I appreciate out of that already, and I do think what they do in biblical theology and understanding typology is important and helps you understand the whole storyline of Scripture. The Bible is not disconnected, mm-hmm. right? There is one plan of God that is moving forward, mm-hmm. and there are uh, important interpretive methods that must be applied in order to, I think, see that that properly. So I think they do that to a degree, but... I'll I'll bring out a quibble now and then you can add some too. It it doesn't satisfy me in terms of the prophetic language. Mm-hmm. Like I think especially about in Isaiah, two passages come to mind, Isaiah 60 and Isaiah 65, you know, they're talking about Jerusalem being this really central place in the future at peace, mm-hmm. nations flowing to it. Mm-hmm. Saying that that's spiritualized to be realized essentially in the new heaven, the new earth doesn't satisfy. Yeah, or that that place now, or or whatever, is Christ, right? And they are flowing to. And I'm thinking that's that just seems like an oversimplification, um, a little like reductionistic, right? And it just leaves so many unresolved questions. And I think what happens is it doesn't. It doesn't satisfy because I don't think they carry the biblical theology all the way through. Right. Right. If the plan is Eden to Eden again, mm-hmm. to spiritualize basically the end Eden, although they don't, right? Because they would say it happens in the new heaven and new earth, uh, it doesn't satisfy me. Any other thoughts on the typological view? No, other than saying it is, it, it can be very rich, as we said before, yeah. in, in the sense that, um, you know, when you, whenever you t- can trace a theme like yeah. that through Scripture, and there, I would say to all of that, when they're th- talking about the the theme of place, yeah, and God's presence, mm-hmm. and they trace that all the way through and and come back to it at the end, that can be very rich yeah. and rewarding, even in thinking through those things, and there can be application to yes. that. So we can take some of what we can glean from that. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to interpreting prophecy, I think that's where it's weak. They yep. can't. It's hard to 
take a prophecy and make it typological in every case. Right. Like the ruler that's going to come is going to be born in Bethlehem or out of Egypt. Right. I called my son. Yep. Right. And so that literally happened. Right. And, it, and so it's very hard for me to try to just resolve all of that in the statement that says, well, it's all fulfilled in Christ. Right. Well, we would agree with that, but I would say it's going to be literally fulfilled in Christ in some of these important ways. And and when these land promises are are really emphasized throughout the Old Testament, I mean in detail and emphasized, and it's like it would be hard for me to accept a view that doesn't see, as an, as an example, the king that was to come reigning from Zion. Yeah. Reigning from Jerusalem. Yep. Right? It would be hard for me to say somehow that's just kind of washed away or absorbed in this yeah. New Testament era. Um, okay, the last view, Christian Zionism, strengths, weaknesses that you see there. Yeah, I think the weakness—I'll say a weakness on this. A strength is that, yeah, it's trying to take the the prophecies to Israel as a people mm-hmm. seriously yeah, and resolve those and see how those work out. Yeah, I think the 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 points he makes about New Testament references to the land, you, are, you have to take those seriously. Yeah, but we do—but the weakness is, on the one hand, I don't think we should be against Israel— in this time, because he this is really he was really leading to what we've got going on right now. Right. How yes. should we view Israel at this time? Right. Not just the land, but the people and the people in the land. And we can support them, and we are their biggest ally, right, mm-hmm. in the world. However, we can't just unequivocally support them, mm-hmm. and we have to keep that largely at the political level, and not so much at the biblical level, because we do have to remember that although as Gentiles we are not to be arrogant over them, right. We are to read our entire Bible and see that they are under the disciplining wrath of God, and that no Jewish person who is rejecting Jesus Christ has any promises coming to them. They're not going to be in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not God's children in that way. Mm -hmm. And depending on your view of the Old and New Covenant and what happened in the New Covenant— we might even say there's no covenant to them. You can't use the old covenant as that. You can go to the Abrahamic covenant and to his offspring, but you still have to reckon with what is the offspring of Israel, of Abraham. Right. And Romans chapter 2 and the idea of what is a true Jew is not one who is one outward mm-hmm. or just has circumcision, but one who has been born again by the Spirit of God yeah. and has been circumcised in the heart, which would include Gentiles. So it it's... That it, you can become very oversimplistic in your yes. inter, your view of Israel too, and you really need to think through those right. things before you um, make a decision on that. I think if I were going to uh, have a, a quibble with McDermott, it's actually his conclusions. I I don't think a valid conclusion to his point is to say essentially if you don't hold to a literal fulfillment in the the way that I do then somehow you're saying God is not going to fulfill his promises. I don't I don't think that's fair because even guys like Beale, right? He's very clearly advocating God is going to fulfill his promise. It right. just looks different than you're saying. Yeah, the it's question right. is how will he fulfill these right. and not if he'll fulfill right. these. Everybody's agreeing that he's going to fulfill right. his promises. Right. The question is how and what that looks like. Right. So I do I agree with that. It's not a really a it's valid kind of, It's kind of a straw man and I've heard that many times and it's not a valid argument. Yeah. So if if people think of that, they they hear what they would call 
supersessionism or replacement theology, and they're like, oh, they just don't think God's going to be faithful to his promises. Mm -hmm. It's not true. And honestly, I've probably said that in my teaching. Not probably, I have in the past. And now you recant. But but it's like, as I thought more about it, Mm -hmm. and as I listened to the other side, right. Then it kind of beca- it tempered out, saying, "Oh, I see what you're saying. I yeah. think you're wrong, right. but I see what you're saying, and you're not saying that God isn't going to fulfill His promises. Right. You're just disagreeing on how that will flesh itself out." Yeah. Okay. So here's after I've read through this and thought about this, and I think about okay, why do people land in different places? And the big takeaway for me is really it has to do with your view of the kingdom, mm-hmm. right? Is there a literal thousand year reign to come? Mm-hmm. or like the amillennial position, it is a spiritual reign of Christ now. Right. And since we're pre-millennial, right. uh, we see a kingdom coming, and yes. so these land promises need to be fulfilled in some way. Right. And I think that's really where I would assume Beal is probably amillennial. That's why he's landing in some ways in the right. place he is right. uh, versus where we're at. Yeah, and I think with that amillennialism, they can hold to the teaching of Romans 9 through 11, that God isn't done with ethnic Jews in the sense that he's saving some now yes. and bringing them into his kingdom. Yep. But um, with that all millennialism doesn't see, again, these literal fulfillments of the kingdom here on earth in the way that the Bible seems to right. be describing them. Right. And in the Old Testament prophecies that talk about the Messiah in his reign that clearly haven't been fulfilled yet if we interpret them in a literal fashion mm-hmm. um, as though he's going to reign from Jerusalem mm-hmm. over all the nations of the earth. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that, that that's an important well, You have to figure out what your kingdom theology is, right. and you, you have to determine your millennial theology. Yeah. You do, because yeah. it will affect everything else. Yep. Yeah, that that includes premillennialism, postmillennialism, all millennial. It's gonna it's going to affect so many other things. Mm-hmm. And I think what we see, just to summarize a little yep. bit, where I'm at at this yep. point, I'm premillennial, which means we believe Christ will come, and He will establish His reign on earth. Right. It'll be for a thousand years, Revelation mm-hmm. twenty, and during that time, conditions will be wonderful mm-hmm. and peaceful among the nations. Mm-hmm that Christ is going to reign over Israel mm-hmm. and the rest of the yes. nations. He's going to have dominion over the whole earth. Yes, and there is going to be a sense in which the land promises have been expanded yes. to include Gentiles, but that doesn't mean that we will all be in that land in the sense of that little the, area right. of Israel, right? It could be that we are then, as his kingdom is expanded over all the earth, spread over all the earth. And what was really interesting is, we were talking about this earlier this week, Mm -hmm. as that thousand years goes on, then we are fulfilling the human mandate, or the God-given mandate to human beings to rule on the earth, because we're going to reign with Christ in the land mm-hmm. and over the earth as his vice regents. Yep. Is that the, yep. terminology, the terminology, right? Like that's what we will be as it was supposed to do. As Adam failed, Christ comes, he does it, yep. glorifies God. Here you have the the saved ethnic Jews just showing glory to God that he he promised, I will save these people. Yep. They reject me. Mm-hmm. They rejected eventually my son when he came. I will, though, have mercy on them. I'll reject them. And in addition, 
that Abrahamic covenant of blessing coming to all the families of the earth is is being fulfilled in that as well. Yeah, we're. I think we can say that we're inheritors of the land promises in a sense that Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham, and we're in him. And so we get this too, yes, to a degree. Yeah. And yet that doesn't diminish the fact that he can also still have, I think specifically Jerusalem mm-hmm. as the central place. Yeah. You know, like, um, if I can find it here. Well, just go read Isaiah 60. You could read Isaiah 60 through 65, mm-hmm. and there seems to be that emphasis, right? It talks about people, the nation streaming to Jerusalem and the glory there yeah. and the gates not being shut and peace and the nations recognizing it, right? I think that right. that's, that's to yet happen in this millennial kingdom that is, is to come. Okay, uh, real quickly, and we've touched on it a little bit, but this is kind of where the whole point was leading. Does how you view the fulfillment of the land promises have any events, any bearing on events happening in Israel today? Specifically thinking about Hamas trying to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and things like that. Yeah. Um, My personal view is it's obviously part of God's plan. Right. But I don't know that we can see it's directly part of any of his prophetic word. Right. Does that make sense? He's obviously working in and through it, but it wouldn't rattle my faith one bit if every Jewish person was extracted right now out of right. that land. Right. And that, yeah, I I think that, um, well, like you, you mentioned it earlier, I think specifically saying what's happened in Israel in the last couple months, mm-hmm. right? Christians, Americans should fully support Israel defending themselves, wiping their enemies off the face mm-hmm. of the earth, just like we would do, I would hope, any other sovereign nation in that way, because it's an issue of justice and righteousness and things like that. At the same time, I think Christians recognize there is a uniqueness to the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, our Savior was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. that doesn't, and like you mentioned earlier, like uh, there's not to be a haughtiness or a right. despising of right. them. Um so so I think that, but yet at the same time, like you said earlier, uh, how we view the fulfillment of the land, if Israel is removed from the land, doesn't shake our faith. No, because um, he will, in our view, eventually bring them back, mm-hmm. and it will come with all of the promises, not just yes. the land, but the, the new heart promises yes. as well. I think the other thing, too, is uh, is like we shouldn't see what's happening in Israel as a sign that the end is here, mm-hmm. you know, like... Uh, Armageddon's right around the corner. You know, I think that's, again, we got to be careful. The Bible doesn't give us the kind of revelation to make that clear determination. Mm -hmm. So we can still look forward to a future fulfillment in some way or another. All right. That's good. Big topic. Big topic. That was fun, though. It it is fun. It is fun. Hopefully it'll help people just get a little taste. Go read these articles for yourself and uh, think more about these things. Well, we thank you for listening, and we do pray this conversation has been helpful for those who are part of CBC and for those who are outside of our church serving as faithful members in the local church the Lord has placed them in. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, consider giving us a rating and a review. That'd be so kind. Uh, We always love the interaction we get with our listeners, so let us know what you think about the podcast. Send us topics that you want us to discuss or ideas for new album art. Still calling out for those. Uh, Get a hold of us. If you're a part of the church, you can just come up and talk to us. You can give us a call or a text. Otherwise, you can send us an email at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. You can also follow us online on the socials, as the kids say. Twitter, X, 
or Instagram. We are at the Calvary Cast. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. Until next time.